I'll be reading from the 22nd chapter of Genesis, verses 1 through 13. Listen now to what God's Spirit is saying to the church. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. When they had come to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and he laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word and give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose the way of your wisdom. Through Christ our Lord, amen. We're in the third week of our sermon series on the Bible's first families, the families of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And As you may already have gathered, today we have come to one of the most difficult and complicated and heart-wrenching stories in the entire Bible, God's command to kill Isaac. Now, in order to give us some perspective and possibly just a little bit of levity to what is an almost impossible story, I want to start today by playing the beginning of one of my favorite songs about the story of Abraham and Isaac. This, um, well actually I'm gonna let you tell me what this is, see if anybody knows this song.
Some of you would probably prefer I just keep playing that instead of, uh, <laughs> instead of preaching. Um, I'm sure some of you already know that is Bob Dylan. That is his famous song, Highway 61 Revisited. And it's a creative retelling of the story of Abraham and Isaac. In the song, God says to Abraham, kill me a son. And Abraham reacts in the way that I think most of us would react. God, you must be putting me on. I'm not going to do that. Well, in the song, God then gets angry at Abe's refusal to do that. And he says, Abe, if you don't do this, I'm coming after you. Next time you see me coming, you better run. And so out of fear for his own life, Abraham says, okay, God, where do you want this killing done? And God says, out on Highway 61. That is a very clever reference to the highway that goes from Mississippi to Chicago. It actually runs straight through my hometown of Vicksburg, Mississippi. This highway is mentioned in endless blues songs because this was the highway in which a lot of Southern blacks escaped the South and moved up to the North seeking escape from suffering. And what Bob Dylan does is he cleverly puts the story of Abraham and Isaac on this same road as if to suggest that Abraham and Isaac are themselves victims of injustice. Of course, the injustice in this case is at the hands of a capricious and violent God. Because in this version of the story, God is barbaric. He demands blood. Abraham, kill me a son. And when Abraham refuses, he threatens to kill Abraham himself. And in fact, this is not an uncommon way of interpreting the story that we just read. Many critics of religion have used this story as evidence of just how awful religion is. The late Christopher Hitchens would often point to this story as the reason why he could never be a Christian. Here's a quote from Hitchens. My three delightful children are everything to me. If I was told to sacrifice them to prove my devotion to God, if I was told to admire Abraham who says, yes, I will kill my child in order to show my love of God, I would say, no thanks. He actually says something a lot cruder than that, but you get the point. Now here's the thing. I agree with him. I have three children. If I thought that the God I serve wanted me to harm them in any way to show my loyalty to him, I would have to rethink just what kind of God I believe in. But after a long time of reading this story and reading what commentators have said about this story, I have come to the view that this story is actually not about a bloodthirsty God, quite the opposite. This story is about a God who wants to finally put an end to human sacrifice and human violence of all kinds. Three points I want to make today. Number one, the reality of child sacrifice in the ancient world. Number two, the example of Jesus. And number three, the sacrifice that God actually does require. So the first thing that made me begin to reevaluate this story is when I learned just how prevalent child sacrifice was in the ancient world, as awful as it sounds to our ears to hear God tell someone to kill a child, the unfortunate truth is that this simply would not have been strange in any way to Abraham. Archaeologists have found evidence of human sacrifice in literally every single place where humans have lived. China, India, Europe, Africa, South America, all ancient cultures 
ritually sacrificed human beings to their gods and they all did so for the exact same reason. They were trying to manipulate God. Here's one example. A few years ago, archaeologists were digging in a valley on the northern coast of Peru and they found a mass grave. Inside this mass grave, they found the remains of 269 children. And they dated these remains and they realized, they discovered that sometime in the 15th century, these children had been sacrificially killed based on their skeletal remains. They say the children were between the ages of five and 14. And I wanted us to just think about that for a moment, to try to put ourselves in that time and place. These were children with families, These were children who had been developing relationships and identities. I mean, they had to have been loved to some degree within their culture. What would make a society do something this terrible? The archaeologists actually have a theory. Because when they began digging into the earth, they also discovered evidence of a terrible flood. And they developed the theory that these children were killed during a massive flood in order to persuade the the gods to save them. The, The theory is that in murdering these innocent children, these people thought that a greater good could be achieved. Now you might say, that is crazy. And I agree. But let's talk about the theology that undergirds these killings, the theology is that God can be manipulated. God, something terrible is happening. If I do this for you, you'll do something for me. If I give you something really important to me, even my child, maybe you'll save me from, from some trouble. And here's where it gets really personal for us because I think most people, if they're honest, would have to admit that they try to manipulate God all the time. God, I am in trouble. If you just get me out of this fix, I'll, I'll go to church every week. God, I have just been diagnosed with a terrible sickness. If you heal me, I promise you, I'll give everything I have to charity. God, I have really messed up in my business. Can you please save me? I promise I'll get down on my knees. I'll pray to you every single day. If you just help me, I'll give you something that is of great importance to me. This is the very definition of a conditional promise. But as we've already discussed in this series, the covenant that God made with Abraham was unconditional. God said to Abraham, I'm going to help you no matter what you do. I'm going to make you the father of a great nation of people despite your best efforts, not because of them. And didn't we see exactly that last week? Abraham and Sarah made an utter mess of their lives. They brought this helpless woman, Hagar, into an abusive love triangle. Then they cast her out with her son, all because they wanted to be in control of their lives instead of God. And yet this God gave them a son anyway. Isaac, whose name means laughter, who was a symbol of healing and joy and levity in the midst of heartache. It just doesn't make sense that the same God who brought healing into this family would then say, yeah, I want you to go kill this child. He must have been up to something else. God, in his mysterious way, must have been putting Abraham to some kind of test. And in fact, this is exactly what the story says. 
from the very beginning, the first verse, after these things, God tested Abraham. This is a test, meaning Isaac was never actually in danger. Of course, Abraham didn't know that, and that's precisely the point. Abraham, like all ancient people, simply took child sacrifice for granted. Abraham was from Ur, which is a city-state in ancient Mesopotamia, and there was another archaeological dig in the early 20th century that took place in Ur, and in that place, archaeologists found another mass grave. This grave had over 2,000 people in it, and the theory that archaeologists came up with is that when the noble people of Mesopotamia died, all of their servants were immediately murdered and placed into the grave with them. Why? So that they could have servants in the afterlife. It's pretty narcissistic, isn't it? Here's my point. Abraham came from a culture in which it was simply taken for granted that people could be ritually sacrificed and that if you didn't do that, the gods would punish you. And I think we see that in Abraham's response. God asks him to do this terrible thing. And we have seen there are other scenes in which Abraham argues with God and pushes back against God, but not in this case. It seems that this request just made sense to Abraham because it's what he understood religion was all about. There's no argument. There's no inner debate. There's just this. The next day, Abraham rose, saddled his donkey, cut wood for the altar, and left for Moriah. But what Abraham doesn't know is that this is the beginning of a powerful lesson that will demonstrate the way that the God of Israel is different from the gods he grew up with. It's a difficult lesson, it's, it's a very tough test, and there are excruciating details. Even reading the story is painful. The first is contained in, in the command itself. God says, Abraham, take your son Isaac, whom you love. We are told that Abraham loves this child that he is asked to kill. And there are more excruciating details. We are told that Abraham wakes up early in the morning to leave on this journey with Isaac, and some commentators have wondered whether he might have left early because he didn't want to leave while Sarah was awake. He didn't want her to know what he was going to do. The journey itself takes three days. That is a long time in which to think about the sacrifice that is coming. It seems that God wants Abraham to wrestle with this command. For three days, he walks with his beloved son toward Mount Moriah, and along the way, Isaac asks questions that are excruciating to hear. Father, he says, we have wood and fire, but where is the lamb that we're going to sacrifice, not knowing he is the lamb? Abraham says God will provide the lamb. What was that like for Abraham? To lie to his son, to walk with him over three days knowing what was to come. Jewish scholars have termed this story the binding. The Hebrew word is akedah. It, it on one level refers to the fact that Isaac was literally bound on the altar, tied up with ropes by his father on the wood. 
But there's a deeper meaning here because any of us who try to make sense of this story are also bound. We are tied up trying to deal with the meaning of this very, very difficult narrative. Now, I have found that whenever I am facing a difficult story like this, a good place to start to understand it is to look at other stories in the Bible. What do other stories in the Bible tell us that God is like? Well, when we look across the scope of Scripture, what we find is that the God of the Bible has a preferential treatment for people who are weak and vulnerable and poor. And at the top of that list is children. There is a scene in the Gospel of Matthew in which the disciples are very confused about who will enter the kingdom of heaven. And they say to Jesus, well, well, who is it then that is going to inherit the kingdom? Jesus calls a little child over. And he stands the child in front of the disciples and he tells them, unless you change and become like little children, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes a step further. He says, if anyone causes a child to stumble, if anyone hurts a child, it would be better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and drowned in the depths of the sea. And there's really only way to understand this story. God cares deeply, passionately, about the welfare of children. And so if we can go back now to the story of Abraham and Isaac, the clear message is that Abraham was never really meant to kill Isaac. Isaac is there bound on the altar. He's on top of the wood that is ready to be ignited. Abraham has removed the knife. He's raised his hand to plunge it into his son's body. And an angel comes with great urgency. Abraham, Abraham, do not lay your hand on this boy or do anything to him. Abraham, your God is different. Abraham, you have been put to the test. God wants you to know that you are never to harm a child. It's almost like this story is the first glimpse we get of the gospel. It's the first glimpse we see that this God that we encounter in Scripture, this strange God, is different from other gods. Other gods can be manipulated. You can make sacrifices to them, and based on those sacrifices, they will help you. Other gods can help people have power in this world, but this God says, I stand with those who suffer. In fact, I don't even want your sacrifices. There is a fascinating theme that runs through the Hebrew Scriptures. The Israelites were one of the first cultures to move away from human sacrifice and to begin sacrificing animals instead, and yet, ironically, Throughout all of the Hebrew scriptures, what we read is that God doesn't want your animal sacrifices. Bill read from Psalm 51 a little bit earlier. Lord, you have no delight in sacrifice. If I were to give you a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. And then the psalm says this, the sacrifice that God wants is a broken and contrite heart. The prophet Micah takes directly on the issue of child sacrifices. He says, what shall, what shall I do to please the Lord? Shall I give my firstborn for my sins? Shall I give the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? The fact that he even asked this question shows us that child sacrifice was a reality in the cultures around Israel. Micah says, no. What God requires is to do justice, to love kindness, 
to walk humbly with your God. I'm going to continue because I want you to understand how prominent this theme is. The first chapter of Isaiah, God says, I've had enough of your burnt offerings. Do you want my favor? Wash yourselves clean. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Continuing, here's the prophet Hosea. God says, I desire goodness, not sacrifice. I desire obedience, not burnt offerings. Are you tired of these examples yet? Here's one from Jeremiah. In Jeremiah, God says, what do I care about incense? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable to me. Your sacrifices are not pleasing to me. Do you want to seek me? Repent, put on sackcloth, roll around in ashes, cry out to me as if for an only child. And it all starts with this story in which God puts Abraham to the test And he puts his flag in the ground. He says, you will not kill in my name. I don't even want you to kill animals in my name. I want you to protect the weak. I want you to do justice. I want you to love kindness. A few years ago, I saw a remarkable art installation. It was by a Cuban artist named Eric Ravello. The work is called The Untouchables. You can find this online if you're curious. It is a devastating commentary on the way that children are exploited in our society. And relevant for those of us in the church, this art project uses crucifixion as a way to understand that exploitation. Here are some examples. There is a child soldier. These are people who are posing and he takes photographs of these models. There's a child soldier, just a little kid, being crucified on the back of an adult soldier. There's a little girl in Thailand being crucified on the back of a Western tourist who has paid her for sex. There's a little boy in his underwear being crucified on the back of an abusive priest. There's an obese American boy being crucified on the back of a fast food mascot. There's a young girl in a school uniform being crucified on the back of a school shooter. There is a young Chinese boy being crucified on the back of an organ harvester. The point of this art project is to show us that child sacrifice still takes place. That we're actually not so far removed from our ancestors. And the most painful part of this project is the innocent faces of these children because the message is that part of the reason they are exploited is because they naturally trust adults. Like Isaac, who carries the wood on his back toward his own sacrifice. And yet, ironically, trusting like a child is what what we're meant to do toward God. The gospel is utterly paradoxical that way, that it's only when we stop trying to force happiness that happiness can come of its own accord. It's only when we stop using people and manipulating God that we are free to actually relate to them. It's only when we stop trying to persuade God to do what we want him to do that we actually get from him what we really need which is his love, freely given, not forced, not coerced, but freely given. 
the deep theological message of this story is that God simply cannot be manipulated by sacrifice. He doesn't want our sacrifices. What he wants is a changed heart. And if we can give that to him, if we can trust that he alone satisfies the deepest desires of our souls, then something paradoxical happens. We stop trying to manipulate other people because we already have what we need from God. That is the wonder of the gospel. Let's end in prayer. Holy God, in this time as in Abraham's time, what we need most is your grace. Grant us the strength to protect the weak among us. Give us your love that we might share it and that the world might be changed in your name. Amen.